you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Conflict is inevitable in our lives. Every person you and I truly get to know will at some point rub us the wrong way and cause us to be uncomfortable. Conflict arises for many reasons, but at times it's simply a misunderstanding. There are times when the conflict is so great we would rather run away than actually deal with it, than face the music, if you will. What happens when that conflict affects us in a very personal way? When the very things we're trying to show someone else are thrown right back in our face. When the response from others is the response we remember as children. I know you are, but what am I? The conflict that arises many times comes from a misunderstanding or even delusion of who God is and specifically who Jesus is. What we fail to realize is behind every conflict is a spiritual battle that we've avoided paying attention to. Our view of the world many times ignores the spiritual aspect of the situation at hand. Today we'll be specifically looking at the prophetic utterance of Simeon to Mary of the conflict that will arise with Messiah on this earth. There would be tensions that arise from the statements and teachings of Jesus himself. If we read in the previous verses in Luke 2, we get more of the context of this text, but we will be focusing on verses 34 through 35. Let's back up to verse 25 and begin. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Simeon is given a promise that he would see Messiah before departing this life, and God delivers on that promise. Simeon begins by blessing God and thanking him for the wonderful encounter with Christ, who will bring light to the world and glory to the Jewish nation. Simeon then turns to the parents and connects the dots to the Messiah, but specifically speaks to the blessing of Mary, who will be the one that witnesses these things that will come to pass. You see, the truth is God uses people to bring clarity to those that are in the dark, spirit-filled people. He does so here with Simeon and other places. He uses people like Paul, who speaks to the Gentiles, Philip with the Ethiopian eunuch, imperfect people, but people nonetheless. Interesting to note, it seems that Joseph dies before Jesus begins his earthly ministry. 
Whenever Jesus performs miracles, it's for a reason. And for some reason, it's never stated that Joseph was brought back to life. In fact, the conflict or tension that Jesus brought also shows up in his own family. And we'll read about that here this morning. Jesus also made sure to take care of his mother at his crucifixion by charging John further, confirming that Joseph must have died much earlier. Blessing that's mentioned here essentially means a good word, something we do at someone's passing in what we call a eulogy. Blessings are found throughout the scripture, and they typically fall into one of three categories. The first one is God to man. The second one is man to God. And the third is man to man. When God calls us to bless others, it essentially means to speak well of them, to find the positive things and treat God's favor on them, be the instrument that God can use. Our default position will not be to bless people. In fact, typically our response is revenge and getting even. Outside of a supernatural enablement of the Holy Spirit, the best way is to know the Scripture, as Simeon does, which is why he's able to connect the dots for the parents. The truth is we have the potential to be the blessing or a curse to someone in the way that we treat them. Simeon starts off by declaring this truth. He says, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. What Simeon is doing here is pointing to something that will be fulfilled in the future. And Mary will be a witness to this. Jesus will usher in the fall of the Jewish Levitical system and be a stumbling block to the Jewish people. Arnold Fruchtenbaum points out, he says, He tells them that Yeshua will be the rise and fall of many in Israel. He will be a point of division in the Jewish people, the rise of those who believe and the fall of those who don't. When you and I think of conflict, we think that it is just automatic that we ought to avoid it. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that Jesus came to this earth and he brought conflict. He brought conflict. As much as you and I try our best to avoid it, it is unavoidable in our lives. It is a part of our lives. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 24, we read how the Jews stumbled specifically when it came to the Lord Jesus himself. Starting in verse 22, For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. There are many that read the scriptures, but don't connect the dots. Which is what Jesus was saying to the chief priests when he said this in Matthew 21, verses 42 through 46. He says, Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures... The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken. 
but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Now when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. What Jesus essentially did here is directly tell the religious leaders that they were in the wrong. He directly told them that his mission they would not agree with. So many people miss it. They don't know who Jesus really is or why he really came. It's a cute story of a baby in a manger, not the Savior on a cross that dies for our sins. Or the resurrected Lord who reigns, who's seated at the right hand of the Father even now. The conflict surrounding Jesus was felt even by those that were closest to him. In fact, the Jewish people, when it came to Jesus, were about doing something rather than resting in the faith that they ought to have been resting in. In Romans 9, verses 30 through 33, we read the following. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. You see, Jesus was opposed by his own family as well. What most people don't realize is when he began his ministry, his family wasn't cheering him on. His family was very much against him in his ministry. Jesus had conflict in his own family. The text we're going to be reading, Jesus is at home in Capernaum with his siblings, about to celebrate the Feast of Booths, which was one of the, that's symbolic of the glory one day that will be experienced in the kingdom, by the way. The Feast of Booths lasts about seven days. Jesus then has his brothers and sisters that we would probably consider half-brother and sisters due to the virgin birth. In Mark 6, though, we read the names of his half-brothers, James, Joseph, or Joseph, if you will, Judas, and Simon. So Jesus had a large physical family, by the way, not just spiritual. His brothers seemed to imply support for his ministry in encouraging him to depart to Judea. But it's all a veiled shot at him with sarcasm. In fact, in John chapter 7, verses 1 through 5, and we're going to read it in the New Living Translation, here are the details that are brought out for us. After this, Jesus traveled around Galilee. He wanted to stay out of Judea, where the Jewish leaders were plotting his death. But soon it was time for the Jewish Feast of Shelters, and Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. Here's what's amazing. A lot of Christians don't even know this exists in the Bible. 
your followers or your disciples is a veiled shot at those that were close to him. Oh, Jesus, you just got your own movement going there. Why don't you be more public about this? You're trying to be popular. Go do the miracles in front of more people. Go specifically where it's dangerous. His brothers were putting him down because the truth is they weren't believing what he was preaching. Look at the response that really brings it home for us in application. Look at how Jesus responds to this. In verse 6, Jesus replied, Now is not the right time for me to go, but you can go anytime. The world can't hate you, but it does hate me because I accuse it of doing evil. You think Jesus wasn't controversial? You go on. I'm not going to this festival because my time has not yet come. After saying these things, Jesus remained in Galilee. Most people's perspective of Jesus is incorrect if you look at the Bible. Many people today proclaim Jesus to be a tolerant fellow that is okay with everybody's sin. When Jesus himself speaks to all of us and calls us to repentance. He calls his own disciples to repentance. The timing was not right for Jesus to go, as his time on, to die on the cross had not yet come. Most people would be amazed and impressed with miracles. They were, however, not impressed or interested in being called to repentance. Everybody likes the miracles. Everybody likes the wonderful things that impress them. But when it comes to Jesus calling them out on sin, not so much. As one commentator put it, Stephen was stoned to death in Acts 7. He wasn't killed for preaching a sermon or for preaching a long sermon. He was killed for preaching an applied sermon. There's nothing our sin hates more than to hear God say, I'm talking to you. I would add that this is probably the reason why many Christians don't, no longer attend church. They don't want the conviction. Of course, there are cases of abuse and scandal in the church that cause real pain. I'm not referring to that. That must be confronted. But the truth is, we don't want to be confronted with something else that we may need to change. Back in Luke chapter 2, Simeon continues with a striking statement to make to a mother that's dedicating her child in the temple. How would you like to hear this as you're dedicating your child? In verse 35 we read, Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Wow. This is going to hurt. Mary, this is going to hurt. And I need us for a moment to pause and think of the kind of statement that's made here, and if you're a mother, connect it with you for a moment. You're excited about this baby boy. You've been called blessed because you get to carry the Lord Jesus. And you are told that this is going to cut deep. This is going to hurt to see what he goes through. When Mary witnessed the rejection of her son, it cut right to the heart of her as a mother. 
take for a moment the joyous occasion of having a child only to find out that they will be the cause of conflict among people. And one day you will witness their death on a cross. How's that for a joyous occasion? John 19, 25 through 26, we see this. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. The pain of a mother losing her son on a cross is lost by so many who have deified Mary into something she's not. She was a mother who was blessed to be the mother of Jesus, but still needed him as her Messiah. You see, as time passes, the truth always tends to come out. The last part of verse 35 that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. The conflict that many still have today is the conflict of the heart, which is only revealed over time. Assumptions that are made are many times incorrect. Listen to what Spurgeon says. Christ's death revealed the thoughts of many hearts. It revealed the thought in the heart of Pilate that he loved popularity better than the truth. It revealed the thought of the heart of Judas, that he loved gold better than he loved his master. It revealed the thought in the heart of Caiaphas, that he would keep to old customs rather than to, be, than to the right. It revealed the thought in the hearts of the disciples and showed what poor, timid, trembling hearts they had. Peter's impulsive spirit, too, was revealed in all its weakness by the death of the Savior. The cross is the great touchstone. Wherever it comes, it tests and tries us, even as the crucible tries the metal that it is put into it, and lets us know what manner of men we are. Dost thou love Christ? Dost thou glory in his cross? Then it is well with thee. But dost thou despise the cross? Dost thou set up thine own righteousness in opposition to it? Are you depending upon anything beside Jesus Christ and him crucified? Then his cross reveals thee to be self-righteous and dead in trespasses and sins. What you and I think of Jesus will be evident in our lives. It'll be evident in the way that we deal with conflict that he brings to the equation. Your love for others, your stand for truth, your hatred of personal sin in your life will come from your view of him. Standing with Jesus or against him, there's no in-between. Truth is, believer, our lives declare what we really believe, more so than our words. As we know, the statement, right? Talk, talk is cheap. Talk is cheap. For many Christians, it's very cheap. One of the most dangerous things to do when it comes to conflict is to assume and assume wrongly. It not only applies in our relationship with Christ, but also in our relationship with others. In fact, when it comes to conflict, there are essentially different possibilities. 
In conflict between God and man, if we're in conflict with God, guess what? He's always right, we're always wrong. Jesus is the hero and we need saving. God doesn't need us, we need him. In conflict between two people, there are different cases. We can both be wrong, that's possible. We can both misunderstand one another, or one could be right and the other wrong. You see, the truth is Satan has tricked mankind from the beginning with the lie that we are like gods, knowing good and evil. Essentially, that we know how to distinguish between right and wrong. To prove how off we can be, let's mention some examples in the Bible where assumptions were made, where conflict arises, and they were wrong. Here's one that you're very familiar with. We've heard messages on this, and I think this is a great reminder to all of us. Joseph's brothers assumed that Joseph was still going to go after them after their father died. In Genesis chapter 50, verses 15 through 21, we read the following. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, before your father died, he commanded, saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Remember, Joseph was given a status in Egypt after having been sold off as a slave by his brothers. He forgives them, takes care of them with plenty of food and even land to live. But when his father dies, his brothers assume that Joseph will now get his chance at revenge. Essentially, they assume that Joseph was only good to them when dad was around. Joseph is heartbroken when he hears this. He's cared for his brothers for many years, but they still assumed he didn't really forgive them. He would still punish them. What seemed to have been squared away is still a conflict in their minds. False assumptions are terrible because they instill fear where there should be trust. Assumptions distort reality, making it difficult to see what's true. And every one of us has fallen into these traps. Was there any proof that Joseph would exact revenge? No. In fact, he had taken care of them for, listen to this, 17 years. 17 years, and then his father passed. 
You'd think that would be enough time to prove your point. And here's the truth. Some of you are holding on to something that happened many years ago that you still don't want to believe changed. You don't know what he was like or you don't know what she was like 20 years ago. They still didn't believe that he was sincere. So many of us make false assumptions about others based on fear in our own lives. We don't trust people because someone hurt us. We can't trust those that truly love us from the heart in the present because of someone in our past. And we bring this into our relationships with one another. We bring them into our church. And because someone hurt us from a church, we bring it here and assume that everybody does. Because someone did something to us years ago, we now think that our spouse we can't trust. The very thing that should be obvious is sometimes only questioned. Here's what's bad in false assumptions. Many times one party thinks there's a conflict while the other isn't even aware of it. Ever seen this happen? I didn't even know there was a problem until they brought it up. Or maybe you're the one that thought there was a problem and they didn't even know there was one. This happens in many broken homes where statements made are then etched in stone. One side forgives while the other holds a grudge. The, the question becomes, are you the one assuming incorrectly or do you really believe you have all the facts? Because I dare say we assume we know more of what's in someone's mind than we really do. You see, others assumed as well and were wrong. Let me give you another example that you're familiar with. Eli assumed that Hannah was drunk when he was confronting her over prayer. She was pouring out her heart before God. The truth is she was broken and not able to have a child. And Eli made the assumption that she must be drunk. Boy, was he wrong. In fact, Joseph, the husband of Mary, concluded that she must have been unfaithful because she was pregnant. Was he wrong? Sure was. That almost led to a divorce, by the way. Joseph was stopped by an angel that revealed to him the truth. We talked about this earlier. The brothers of Jesus didn't believe who he said he was. But Jesus later revealed himself to James, who became a faithful follower of his. Here's another one. Pharisees couldn't disprove the miracles of Jesus, so what did they argue? Jesus must be doing this by the power of Satan. Jesus ends up proving them wrong in his resurrection. You know what Jesus did in resurrecting from the dead? He proved, I'm God. Paul assumed that John Mark could no longer be trusted 
because he bailed on him in ministry in the past. I tend to be more like Paul sometimes, to be perfectly honest. Ah, they were like this in the past. I don't know if I can trust them. Work with somebody else. And sometimes God has to remind me that you need to be patient with people. And God does work in people's lives, and they do change over time because the Holy Spirit works. Paul, at the end, comes around, doesn't he? And seemingly supports him in ministry later on. So here's my question to you. What assumptions have you made about God and about others that have put you in conflict with them? What assumptions have you made about God and others that have put you in conflict with them? You ever said something like this? God is only doing this to punish me. Do you really know that? Or are you assuming that? Do you know that your Heavenly Father cares for His own? Did you know that the Bible specifically speaks to that? Did you know that all of God's discipline is for a reason? Because He loves you and cares for you? You see, some of us fall into the trap. God doesn't care about me. I'm a nobody. I have an answer for you from the Bible. Those are the very people Jesus came for. The needy, the broken, the nobodies. The ones that had it all together, thought they had it going, Jesus rejected. Said, your pride's in the way. You need to humble yourself as a child. Come to me in faith. Here's one that happens often in the church. Why doesn't God bless me like he's blessed them? Could it be, just a theory, could it be possible that you're not following his commandments? And so the results are the what they are. Could it be that you're not doing what God wants you to do, that he clearly spells out in his word, and you're refusing to do it, and you get the consequences for that? And you're wondering why they're blessed, because they're doing what God wants. Assuming something of others that we don't know for sure is very dangerous in our walk with God. Here's one. We've all said it. They don't know the real me. And there's, there's a partial truth to that, isn't there, when we say that? Like, they don't know the real me. Like, not one of us knows each other perfectly. That may be true, but that also means that you ought to give others the same courtesy that you give yourself. That you don't know them as well as you think you do. You ever been in this trap? Like, I know what they're thinking. No, you don't. You're assuming you know what they're thinking. You know who, who knows outside of them? God. God's the only one that knows for sure. Give others the same courtesy that you want people to give you. They only think about themselves. Any of us have ever said this? It's a dangerous assumption, right? 
when that very person that you're saying that about may be hurting and is thinking the same thing about you. You ever seen two people at odds and they assume this about each other? It's a frightening situation. You only think about yourself. No, you only think about yourself. That doesn't get resolved. Because you know what? Somebody has to humble themselves and go, I'm not going to think about myself. I'm going to consider the other person. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. I'm going to love the enemy that God's called me to love. Here's one. They don't really care. They're just trying to show off. What do they really do? And you misjudge their intentions and create a conflict with them in your mind. There's, there's a Bible example of this when it comes to David who's celebrating and, in, and excited. His wife's like, seriously? Like you're, you're not doing what you should be doing. You're a king. Why are you celebrating like this? David wasn't thinking about himself. David was excited. He was excited about the Ark of the Covenant. Here's one that happens too often in the church. They think they're better than me. They think they're better than me. Knowing what they think is a very dangerous assumption, and you can very well be incorrect. Here's one thing that I think happens in the church quite often that we don't want to readily admit. Someone gets on fire for God, someone tries to serve God, does this new thing that nobody else is comfortable doing, and we're like, get back here, don't do that, don't show us up. What do you think, you're better than us? Right? It's like, it's like we're grabbing them to pull them back down to where we are, because we don't want them to dare something else for God. Here's a common one that happens in many homes. Um, and if you can relate, don't say amen on this one. Someone doesn't call when they said they would. The assumption is that we must not, they must not want to spend time with us. We avoid that person out of frustration with a missed call, and they assume we want space only causing further conflict. You see how we assumed a lot there? Here's one that happens all too often. Others are invited to something that we aren't. And they obviously matter more than I do because I wasn't invited. Like the audacity that people have to invite people they want to. How dare they? I'm more important. You're upset and you don't connect, leaving them with the impression that you're emotionally unstable. And then they're like, I want to stay away from you. You're taking this too personally. This one happens a lot. You have a lot on your mind, so you keep to yourself. Others assume something must be wrong, and you are craving attention when all you wanted was some space. Ever happened to you? I hope you didn't do that to someone else, but I think we have as well at times. Assume something about somebody else that was quiet that one day. 
Maybe they had a long night, we didn't know about that. They didn't get enough sleep. We need to be careful in assuming other people's motives. We might be right at times. But that is clearly revealed over time, not always instantly. Here's one thing that's very encouraging to me. There are people that I have thought don't care about me, and then I realize years later, yeah, that person actually really cares. Like all this fluff I got from other people, they didn't care. I thought they were really great people. They were just buttering me up, never telling me the truth. That person actually cared for my well-being. All our hearts will be revealed one day before God, who's the perfect judge, who sees and knows us better than we know ourselves. So in closing, I want to ask you this question. Is there conflict to be resolved? Is there conflict to be resolved? Maybe the real conflict you and I have is with the God of the Bible. Maybe we simply do not believe that Jesus is the answer. And if we do believe that he's the answer, we don't want to live according to his rules. There's a lot of followers of Jesus that don't want to live the way he lived. And so they get upset at everybody else for telling them, this is what Jesus wants. At the end of the day, as a pastor, I'm just the messenger boy. I'm just delivering the message. You're not standing before me at the end. I have enough to dread myself when I stand before God. Maybe we simply do not believe what we say we believe. Maybe we like some of what he says, but as to the claim of deity, well, that's a bridge too far. Saul, who was also called Paul, also thought he knew better. And was directly confronted by the Lord himself on the road to Damascus. Being religious doesn't save us. Paul was very religious. Jesus saved Paul. It was there that God called him to be a light to others. And guess what? Paul had quite a bit of conflict himself as a messenger of God. You need to understand that if your conflict is not with God, because Jesus is your Savior, that doesn't stop you from conflict with others, though. Don't assume that if you're right with God, automatically everything will be good with everybody else. That's not how it works. Jesus said they hated me, they're going to hate you. The important thing is you need to live like Jesus to make that statement true in your own life. They need to hate you for the right reasons. As Paul said, that you don't suffer for evil doing. Some Christians are jerks for Jesus. That's not what he wants. Conflicts with others is inevitable, believer. But you and I must deal with it properly in the assumptions that we make. You might be right about someone's reason for doing something. But here's the truth. You could also be wrong. In fact, Scripture speaks to this in a very direct way. In 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, in the New Living Translations, here's what it says. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time, before the Lord returns. For he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. 
then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. What Paul's essentially saying there is, we don't know even ourselves as much as we think we do. It doesn't mean that we blindly trust anyone, but it does mean that you give it time. As John says, test the spirits in reference to false prophets. You need to check out what they're teaching, what they're saying, what they're living. Because all of those things are connected. We need to use discernment. But we also should not just automatically assume we know. Do the homework. Test it against the Word of God. Sometimes our own assumptions about others are simply a weakness that we find in our own walk with God. I can't believe they're like this. Did you look in the mirror? Might be you too. The truth is God knows who we are before we even know. To resolve conflict, make amends by asking for forgiveness before God as his enemy is vital. All of us start as an enemy of God. The default position is not in union with God when we are born. We start off as children of wrath. And it isn't until the gospel message changes our hearts, brings us from darkness to light. God wants us to work on clearing up misunderstandings with others as well. Believer, in closing, Proverbs 18.2 should be something you keep in mind when it comes to conflict. Make sure this isn't you. A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. May that not be us. May we walk in wisdom. May we look at what God's word says and apply that to our lives.